I truly hope you tune in to Gesundheit with Jacobus this Saturday morning and join me in my discussion about overall immune health. This sounds pretty simple, but it involves many different aspects for consideration. Why do some always get sick while others never even have a cough? Having a healthy immune system can be a challenge, which is why I think it would be great if you join me. Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is nice to be with you as I am absolutely, you know, you may not always hear it in my voice, but I tell you, uh, based on preparation and thinking about the show and doing what I have to do to get ready for this. Um, I am so grateful, so grateful what I have learned and the fact that I have time with all of you on Saturday mornings to sit here in the studio and share thoughts and facts and uh, research and ongoing research and passion from the experts with the experts or reading from the experts and it is just an absolute pleasure for me to get insights into so many aspects of health that are going on in the world today and there are absolute absolutely passionate people who are involved in making this world a better place by starting with the individuals to make people healthier and I realize there is abuse as well. Every time there is something good happening, there is probably somebody abusing it. So I am not discounting that. And those are always very interesting topics that we can discuss. And I'm sure that some of that may come up today. But in general, I see that the advances that have been made, both by Western medicine and also with alternative medicine, natural medicine, that has a better understanding in Western world about the philosophies of the East and trying to bring things into practice. The advancements that we have seen in nutrition in spite of the abuse of food and nutrition, that we see a constant growing and, and open doors for those who are willing to work on their health. So this is not about being fanatic. But if you are interested in health, I think that you will enjoy these pro programs every Saturday morning from 8 to 11, and that you pick up on some of the information that's out there. I just really appreciate it that you are tuning in, and many of you have done for so many years already. It's been more than 18 years that we started the show, and that uh, you have tuned in over the years to learn something, to pick my brain or to pick the brain of, a, of an expert and hear them talk about what they're passionate about. So that is really what the show is all about. just want to let you know that obviously when things are being said that may sound 
like I give you a cure or a treatment or a diagnosis, please accept that that is all done in the context of the conversation. The purpose of the show is to give you a chance to get some information, education, and hopefully a little entertainment. And always recommend that if you decide to search this further, find good information and think about, uh, you know, seeing somebody of your choice. So having said that, thanks so much for tuning in today. Gesundheit with Jacobus. The topic today is immune health. And that seems indeed, as I mentioned in the promo, that seems very simple, but it isn't. There is a lot involved in the immune system, and I really would like to chat with you about it. Why not give you a little bit of an insight and let somebody explain in just a few minutes how the immune system works, and then we'll just go and explain more about that in detail. So this is a lady by the name of Emma Bryce. It says, how does your immune system work? A mosquito lands on your arm, injects its chemicals into your skin, and begins to feed. You wouldn't even know it was there if not for the red lump that appears, accompanied by a telltale itch. It's a nuisance, but that bump is an important signal that you're protected by your immune system, your body's major safeguard against infection, illness, and disease. This system is a vast network of cells, tissues, and organs that coordinate your body's defenses against any threats to your health. Without it, you'd be exposed to billions of bacteria, viruses, and toxins that could make something as minor as a paper cut or a seasonal cold fatal. The immune system relies on millions of defensive white blood cells, also known as leukocytes, that originate in our bone marrow. These cells migrate into the bloodstream and the lymphatic system, a network of vessels which helps clear bodily toxins and waste. Our bodies are teeming with leukocytes. There are between 4,000 and 11,000 in every microliter of blood. As they move around, leukocytes work like security personnel, constantly screening the blood, tissues, and organs for suspicious signs. This system mainly relies on cues called antigens. These molecular traces on the surface of pathogens and other foreign substances betray the presence of invaders. As soon as the leukocytes detect them, it takes only minutes for the body's protective immune response to kick in. Threats to our bodies are hugely variable, so the immune response has to be equally adaptable. That means relying on many different types of leukocytes to tackle threats in different ways. Despite this diversity, we classify leukocytes in two main cellular groups, which coordinate a two-pronged attack. First, phagocytes trigger the immune response by sending macrophages and dendritic cells into the blood. As these circulate, they destroy any foreign cells they encounter simply by consuming them. That allows phagocytes to identify the antigen on the invaders they just ingested and transmit this information to the second major cell group orchestrating the defense, the lymphocytes. A group of lymphocyte cells called T-cells go in search of infected body cells and swiftly kill them off. Meanwhile, B-cells and helper T-cells use the information gathered from the unique antigens to start producing special proteins called antibodies. 
This is the piece de resistance. Each antigen has a unique matching antibody that can latch onto it like a lock and key and destroy the invading cells. B cells can produce millions of these, which then cycle through the body and attack the invaders until the worst of the threat is neutralized. While all of this is going on, familiar symptoms like high temperatures and swelling are actually processes designed to aid the immune response. A warmer body makes it harder for bacteria and viruses to reproduce and spread because they're temperature sensitive. And when body cells are damaged, they release chemicals that make fluid leak into the surrounding tissues, causing swelling. That also attracts phagocytes, which consume the invaders and the damaged cells. Usually, an immune response will eradicate a threat within a few days. It won't always stop you from getting ill, but that's not its purpose. Its actual job is to stop a threat from escalating to dangerous levels inside your body. And through constant surveillance over time, the immune system provides another benefit. It helps us develop long-term immunity. When B and T cells identify antigens, they can use that information to recognize invaders in the future. So when a threat revisits, the cells can swiftly deploy the right antibodies to tackle it before it affects any more cells. That's how you can develop immunity to certain diseases, like chickenpox. It doesn't always work so well. Some people have autoimmune diseases, which trick the immune system into attacking the body's own perfectly healthy cells. No one knows exactly what causes them, but these disorders sabotage the immune system to varying degrees and underlie problems like arthritis, type 1 diabetes, and multiple sclerosis. For most individuals, however, a healthy immune system will successfully fight off an estimated 300 colds and innumerable other potential infections over the course of a lifetime. Without it, those threats would escalate into something far more dangerous. So the next time you catch a cold or scratch a mosquito bite, think of the immune system. We owe it our lives. So that was uh, interesting, I think. Give you a quick rundown on what uh, the immune system is all about. And I thought, you know, geez, this is uh, actually very, very nice. And I, um, quick and easy, easy to understand. I have another video clip of a doctor. She's from England, but a little bit of that English accent, but she has great information. I'll play that later on in the show. So, this is an interesting concept. When you look into the immune system, it protects the body against disease or other potentially damaging foreign bodies. When functioning properly, the immune system identifies and attacks a variety of threats, including viruses, bacteria, and parasites, while also distinguishing them from the body's own healthy tissue. So we have the lymphatic system, the lymph nodes, they produce and store cells that fight infection and disease. There's the bone marrow. There's the thymus gland, which is behind the ribs and in the front, the sternum. And um, the thymus is the organ where T cells mature. T cells help destroy infected or cancerous cells. And then you have the spleen, which is the largest lymphatic organ in the body. It contains white blood cells that fight infection or disease. So the spleen is about as big as a fist, and it is on the left side of your body, just at the bottom of the rib cage, just to the left of your stomach. So that is where those are located. 
The um, interesting thing to go a little bit further into this, um, when functioning properly, the immune system identifies and attacks a variety of threats. And uh, so the lymphatic system, the lymphatic system consists of bone marrow, spleen, thymus, and lymph nodes. Bone marrow produces white blood cells or leukocytes. So the bone marrow is the, 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 the soft tissue inside the bone, spongy tissue inside our bones. They produce white blood cells or leukocytes. The spleen it contains white blood cells that fight infection. The thymus is, like I said, where the T cells mature. Um, the lymph nodes. The lymph nodes has the lymphocytes and leukocytes. So lymphocytes and leukocytes are small white blood cells that play a large role in defending the body against disease. The two types of lymphocytes are the B cells, which make antibodies that attack bacteria and toxins. And then there are T cells, which help destroy infected or cancerous cells. So the first one that they mentioned was the leukocytes. And the leukocytes are the white blood cells that identify and eliminate pathogens. So pathogens are diseases. The immune system is the body's natural defense system that helps to fight infections. It is made up of antibodies, white blood cells, and other chemicals and proteins that attack and destroy substances such as bacteria and viruses that they recognize as foreign and that are different from the body's normal healthy tissues. Uh, the immune system also includes the tonsils, the tonsils and the thymus, which make antibodies, and then, of course, like I mentioned, the lymph nodes. There is therefore a, um, I think when you, when you look at the immune system, you also have, of course, the skin. The skin is very important when it comes to foreign invaders. It is amazing. We have several layers of skin, even though certain things such as essential oils and certain hormonal creams will pass very quickly through the skin. We have a tendency to put it on skin that is open, that the pores are wide, or where the skin is kind of thin. Otherwise, the skin is made, you know, they often say you need to have a thick skin to make it in this life. But the skin has to have a certain thickness because it protects us from the weather. It protects us from overheating or uh underheating or getting really cold, I mean, it will still happen. But I tell you, if you wouldn't have your skin, all this would happen so much faster. So the skin is very important. Therefore, the skin should not be taken for granted. We have to take care of the skin. We have to make sure that the skin stays elastic, that the skin stays nourished. Things that help with that are collagen, silica, biotin, which is a B vitamin, is good for hair, skin, and nails. Uh, we also do well with MSM or sulfur, salt, not sulfa. Some people say, I'm allergic to sulfa drugs. That is not the same. This is a mineral, sulfur, that we all contain in our cells. Sulfur helps to produce collagen. Collagen is important for the elasticity and the, the just the stretch and the longevity 
of healthy skin tissue. So to keep the skin healthy, there are things we need to do, but don't forget the skin is part of the immune system. We also have obviously our mouth, the mouth and the stomach, the whole digestive tract is part of the immune system. In my opinion, it is the, it is the opening that runs all the way from the mouth, all the way to your uh, anus, uh, your rectum and your anus, because what happens is there are no blood cells in the digestive tract. So one naturopathic doctor once said, in a way, it is outside your body because the material that is inside the digestive tract, the acid, the enzymes, the bile, the, uh, the bacteria, the yeast, those are all things that have a specific function in breaking down the food so that the food can pass through the small intestine and go to the liver first. So in order to do that, there has to be a certain elasticity in the small intestine, but these microscopic holes have to stay microscopic. When there are too many allergens going through the digestive tract, over time, this part of the immune system, the digestive tract, this part of the immune system may become compromised. It can only do so much. It is not, it is not a, a, a machine that is uh, well-oiled and it always works. No, if you do not put the right food in, you can damage your, you can damage your digestive tract. You can damage the stomach lining. You can damage the intestines. You can damage, you can get leaky gut. You can have uh, problems with constipation and diarrhea that is either scraping the inside walls of the intestines and either bulging it or bloating it with constipation and food that doesn't digest or the food is running through so fast it may actually the the acidity in the bowel may actually damage your small intestine and and your colon so uh, the the intestine the 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 purpose that we have to make sure that whatever we put in the mouth is actually helping us in the digestion and the, the the proliferation, so to say, of good nutrients, so they can go again to the into the cells and start healing our body. That's very important. And don't forget the the once the food comes out of the small intestine through the microscopic holes and it's going to the liver. That is done through a process through a tubing, so to say blood vessels that are called the portal vein. The port, the, por the port in Dutch is a gate, is a door. So it is the doorway to the liver, the portal vein. And so what, I, what is important to notice is that all the food that makes it through the small intestine is going into the, uh, is going into the portal vein, okay? However, the portal vein may or may not be uh, liking it, but it can't help it. That is all has to be transported to the liver. So many times the stuff that floats through the portal vein before it hits the liver could be pretty bad looking and bad smelling and bad tasting stuff. So then the liver is going to be responsible for cleaning all that up before it goes back into the bloodstream to make it to the cells. So it's a very, very important process I'm going to continue talking about with you. So please, Stay tuned. This is uh, Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway, and we will be right back.
Caller, good morning to you. What is your name, please? How can we help you? Uh, this is mistaken. Oh, really? Why are uh, you mistaken? Let me point out a, a medical mistake in this the recording you just gave to us. Yeah. As I've said, Anthony William is not afraid to channel uh, conventional wisdom. He must be under something because he has four books that have sold hundreds of copies. And the famous MD Christine Northup has, among others, has recommended it. So he says it's way off to say that there is such a thing as a autoimmune uh, disease, that the body is so stupid that it attacks itself. And then the medical establishment is asked why the body is attacking itself, and they say, we don't know. There's one in his latest book. He says, we really should go sparingly on vitamin D, that the body can save vitamin D in its parts, like in the liver, for for years, putting vitamin D in our system day in and day out, you're just clogging up the organs. You can use it sparingly, but the typical recommendation of vitamin D is just choking the body. You know, one thing one thing you could do to avoid the liver is to use a vitamin D3 cream that you apply to the skin, and that will go straight into the bloodstream and not affect the liver in the way that you would describe or Anthony William describes. He doesn't just say the liver, but uh, organs for uh, years. And if you keep putting more in, it's just stuffing more on top of more. Well, I, I tell you, Daniel, as far as that is concerned, I look at blood work and I see when people have low vitamin D, their, their mind, their immune system uh, starts to fall apart. And I think, therefore, that I, I need to understand in what way Anthony William is putting this in context so that I have a better understanding. If it is simply the sentence the way you just express it, that means that, yes, I would agree, then it is too much. Why, why take more than what you need? But that's why every blood test has upper limits. And I see people who take 1,000 IUs or 4,000 IUs of vitamin D a day who are right in the level where I think they need it. There are also people who do take a lot of vitamin D and actually don't have enough. The other thing that I feel is important here is that we, when we do take vitamin D, it is important to take it with other fats. So not just uh, on an empty stomach. Uh, it is a fat-soluble vitamin that needs other fats in our body to uh, to work. Now, I do not consider vitamin D as a bad fat, Unless, indeed, like you say, Anthony William, who is, a, who is an intuitive, says that fats are bad for you. Well, if that is the case, then I think the whole ketogenic diet is going to be a one big disaster. Uh, it's not easy for everybody. It is doable, obviously. Many people are doing it. But that consists completely of saturated fats. So one, thing that I, one more thing that I want to say about that, then, if you eat good fats including vitamin D, which is a good fat, and E and A, then if you still have a diet that is high in carbohydrates, I think you are going to affect the processing of the fat in the liver on a much different way than when you focus your diet more on fats, healthy proteins, and good fibers. And for many years, uh, many, many years, I've been hearing this country has gone uh, protein wild. Uh, it's eating way too much protein. Get your protein, it says. 
And uh, Anthony Williams says that that's another word for fat. They're just ladling on the fat by uh, uh, thinking that protein is their savior. And he, he says uh, there's no reason to be afraid of eating fruit. He's a big fruit advocate and says, uh, have a banana, have have four bananas. There's nothing wrong with bananas. Have potatoes. They're the uh, unsung heroes. That people have turned against them, but starch is good for you. Have a good weekend. Bye. One of the things he said was that you can be more varied instead of focusing just on protein. I still believe that the uh, that proteins have been underappreciated. It has to do with Ansel Keys that I've mentioned before, the the physicist, the, uh, the scientist who suggested that we should go and eat more carbohydrate-rich foods, low-fat, low-protein, saturated fats are out. And to me, when I turn that around and I see that kind of an extreme, which, listen, there were still plenty of people who had uh, tailgate parties and who had barbecues, so it's not that we didn't eat any meat, but you can just see that the way the food preparations were changing and the food that became available in grocery stores, too many, too many items that were not beneficial to our body. So to go back to simple and plain foods, I agree. You can do vegetables, but there is a you have to look at what the body is craving. And the craving can be two things. What are your personal cravings at that moment and what is needed for your body in order to function? So to give the body something it can work with to start healing the cells, and that is really an important part, the mitochondria in the cells and the cells themselves, the DNA needs to be, can only be working perfectly if the nutrients that go into the cell are going to be beneficial. It's just the way it is. So you can try to run a corporation with people who just are picked off the street, or you can get trained help who simply says, well, we know how to put our shoulders on this kind of work, and so we're going to make this 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 company work perfectly, and we can make it grow. So those you, you don't want to just bring anybody in from the street in order to do a job that needs a lot of precision and detail and knowledge. So it's the same with the body. If we give the cells what they need in order to do function to improve, to to stay alive, to not suffer so much, we need to first look into the cells. We need to find out what is what are the needs of our cells. And the the fact shows that the amount of sugars, if we call it sugars in this case, that a cell actually runs on is a lot less than what the many people in the American Dietitian Association are agreeing upon. The amount of carbohydrates to have that at the bottom of the food pyramid, whereas eggs and meat are all the way at the top of the pyramid or the food pyramid, that makes no sense. It has to be changed around. The carbohydrates, apparently the cells need 60% of every each and every cell in our system, in our body, in our muscles, bone, brain, liver, stomach, lining, uh, the intestines, the, the, the eyeballs, they all need proteins and fats, a little bit of carbohydrates, a little bit of vitamins, a little bit of minerals. So we need the nutrients that help to rebuild. So about 60%, 50 to 60% of each and every cell in our body 
in order to function properly, needs proteins, which are amino acids. And then there is maybe about 25% or so that depends on fat. Now, there is obviously, if I say do 10 to 12 tablespoons of good fat daily, that doesn't mean that you say, well, that's a lot of fat. Sure, but I don't say that you do 10 or 12 tablespoons of protein. You actually may need more protein than that, but it also depends on your activity level. And I have mentioned this before. If you demand more from your vehicle, from your car, if you want to go 100 miles an hour in your car all the time, your gas mileage will go down much quicker over the same distance than if you were to go 65 or 70 miles an hour. So I truly believe that when you go 100 miles an hour, let's say you have a six-cylinder car, you may go down to maybe 19, 20 miles an hour, uh, excuse me, 20 miles a gallon. Whereas if you go 75, 70, 75 miles an hour, you may actually go 30, 31 miles uh, to the gallon. So obviously your gas mileage will not round out that much. And many, many of us have been in a cycle where we really have to focus on our career. The career means that we have to show up. We have to be we're busy. Uh, we were busy raising families. So that took time. You try to work on yourself. You try to work on your relationship. You try to work on your social life. You try to work at your work. So And you try to sleep. So many times we have all burned the candles on both ends. It is one thing if you do that on a long-term basis, such as going 100 miles an hour as long as you can, or if you say, well, I just have to pass this car and I'm going to go 85, 90, 100 miles an hour, pass them, and then I go back to the speed that I was driving at. But too many times people, in order to reach a certain level in their career or they have had financial setbacks or otherwise, um, they need to work more jobs and they just running around to do the jobs to make some money and to pay the bills. And so it's understandable. But when certain things change, you will have to change other things in order to create balance. So when you are going to be busier, if you have to work two or three jobs, you have to find some time to totally relax, to recharge, to eat correctly, and then go right back at it. But many people get so riled up in what they think is important, which is work or making money, and then they have a tendency to forget the vehicle that takes them from point A to point B. And that is where the body at some point can keep going, 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 and then all of a sudden it collapses. It just you, 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 you get a disorder, you get totally fatigued, you get aches and pains, you have uh, your immune system goes down. So there are symptoms that the body is showing you to slow down, to say, hey, you know, we need to, you need to uh, fix this. You need to do something about it, change the way you do things just to get your body a chance to repair. So that's interesting information for all of us, including myself. That is not... It is not that we uh, we therefore don't want to work, but when you go back to the to the actual nutrients, in order to feed the cells that that make up our body, forty three trillion or fifty trillion, who counts? There's a lot of cells. Each and every cell needs that protein and fat. So when an Anthony Williams says, "Well, that's not that important," 
then I say there are people for who this is really important to find that balance. Now, if you eat a lot of fat and you're not selective with your fats, so you'd say I eat food that has fat in it and you eat deep fried fat or you do uh, you do canola oil, safflower, sunflower, soy oil, peanut oil, all those oils on a regular basis, but you're not taking the fish oil, the flax oil, the coconut oil, the butter, the ghee, the eggs, the uh, the, the the lard, uh, clean from a, from a, from a, a pig that was humanely raised, not in in a, in a farm, of not in a um, lot or something. The, then you, the 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 quality of the fat is much more usable inside our body, can do much more benefit as a fat and thereby unburden the liver than when you are when you are sending fats to the area that are not healthy for you. So if you do a lot of fats and you do a lot of proteins, let's say relatively speaking, and then you start picking out with ice cream and a bag of chips and salsa then and, and, and a piece of bread with jelly, uh, you add all that up over time that may not be a good combination. So you can start, you know what happens when you add something to uh, to certain foods, put them together, they may start bubbling and yeasting and and, and fermenting and in, in the wrong way. I mean, in a way that you got to throw it out because it has become toxic, so to say. So there are, when certain chemicals in the body, and everything is a chemical, certain chemicals in the body start mixing together, they can create friction they can create explosions and and many times when you talk about explosion you talk about gas and bloating and uh, indigestion keep in mind that as i just mentioned the immune system the in the digestive system our whole digestive system is part of the immune system because it will let us know if the food wasn't right sometimes we eat something and i'm not talking about you do something really healthy. You do a bitter or you do something that is fermented, but you're not used to that. So you think, oh God, that is horrible. You actually will find out that it is very beneficial to you. But if you take stuff that is not healthy for you, your stomach may say it first. You may start to burp. You may get acid reflux, GERD, high heel hernia. You may get a sour stomach. You can have stomach ache. Maybe you throw it up. It really didn't sit well. So that part of the immune system lets you know that. Then your intestines will let you know also by um, by you have your you have gas, uh, you feel bloated, you start developing IBS. Those are simple reactions from your immune system that something is not working, and this food is not going to benefit you, and you should probably stay away from it. And so that is what your immune system does. As I just mentioned, that portal vein that runs from the small intestine to the liver is usually full of crap. Literally stuff that for most people, that is not very healthy. So the liver now has to process this. And as as Daniel mentioned, vitamin D and the liver. So it all depends what Anthony William is saying in his work is he talking about people who have a let's call it a healthy diet and and healthy is is disputable because uh, for many people health healthy diets are, are very different but if the food combination is wrong 
and then you add the fats to that, then I can understand that for the liver, it becomes very hard. Or for other organs, it becomes hard when this combination of foods is actually causing explosions or damage or weakness to the body. And so when people are saying the probiotics are really good for the immune system, I understand it. That makes sense because you are helping the intestines to hopefully break down the food that should not have been in there in the first place and to get something out of that food that will go into the bloodstream and not burden the liver, but actually support the liver. So I understand that is all very important, but you got to go one step back and say, what did I actually put into my mouth? And that is, I mean, food-wise, that is important that we we focus on the nutrients. We pick and choose our nutrients. There are times all of us will have moments where all of a sudden there is a party, there is a social gathering, and uh, we we want to do something that is different. That is one thing, but that should stay the exception and should not become the norm. And too many people, food that is really not beneficial to us has become the norm. And so the immune system is affected, the stomach, intestines, the, the, the esophagus, the mouth, the teeth, the tongue, everything starts to get affected you start having a film on your tongue. You start having a tongue that is not pink. You start having a plaque on your teeth. You start having issues that simply are expressing themselves all the way from the opening of the mouth to, like I said, the anus because things become affected. You can have hemorrhoids all the way at the end. You can have inflammation in the digestive tract. These are all symptoms of something that the body is expressing to us it doesn't like. Is that because we were born a certain way? For the majority of people, no. This is simply the results of a combination of stressors on the body as well as stressors caused by the wrong type of nutrition. So if you want to build the immune system and you say, let's go probiotics, that's really good for the immune system, I say, yes, it is good, but first of all, eat the right food, then use the probiotics to enhance it, not to be the only fighter to try to, uh, to get rid of stuff that we should never have put in the mouth to begin with. So healthy food choices are important. And what does that mean? Does that mean you have to be a vegan or a vegetarian or a, a raw foodie? Or does it mean that when you eat, when you drink a lot of kombucha that you're healthy or when you drink organic coffee, you're healthy? It is a combination of different things that depend on who you are. What is your lifestyle? What are the choices that you can make? How is your social life? What can you do within all those norms, parameters to make you actually a, a, a healthier person? So, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. When we come back after the next break, which is already the first hour, I'm going to talk about different things that actually affect our immune system in a negative way so that we have a better understanding. And, and later on in the show, I'm going to talk about the effect of Western medicine on our immune health and then of course we're also going to talk about natural things that you can do to build your immune system to regrow it to regenerate it to uh, to just make it part of you where you feel 
you both have control of each other in a better, in a healthier sense. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I really appreciate you tuning in today. We'll be right back. There will always be opinions about what is what what the immune system is doing to our body. There will always be discussions where people say, well, there are people who have this, or I have that. Listen, I want to make clear that there are circumstances out of our control that can affect us in a way that will have such a effect. Uh, no, that's that's going to double up, isn't it? It can affect us in a way that we are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually, but pick those first three, mentally, emotionally, physically, perhaps the rest of our lives. It may become something that is baggage that we cannot get rid of and will always be part of us. And I understand that. And I want you to understand that that if you talk about car accidents, war wounds, birth defects, issues that where the parents were not healthy when they conceived you, and where their habits or the mother's habits during the pregnancy was such that it affected your well-being. These are things that may happen to us whereby we will have a compromised immune system the rest of our life. And so there are things that are out of our control. But for the majority of people, and I really have to say this is the majority of people, if you are interested in improving the quality of your health, if you enjoy listening to a program because, like this because it makes sense, then I tell you there is a lot of options that you have to improve your quality of life. You want, we all want to have a quality of life. If somebody is, passes away at the age of 98, and they have had, they have been able to move around and be sharp in the brain and didn't have a bunch of surgeries to the heart or radiation for cancer or Alzheimer's, but actually people that were with it, that, that are still have a certain sharpness in the mind and a, a step in, the, in their, a pep in their step, so to say, then I think that by the, when they die, the quality of their life has been good for a long time. But too many people start suffering by the time they're 40, 41, 50. They start taking medications to, to overcome the aches and pains. And what happens next is that the, the effect that these pills can have on you can be just as devastating as eating the wrong kinds of food. If you put something in the mouth that the body doesn't recognize or doesn't want to work with, then you will start having effects in the long run. So too many people die a long death. They are not happy. They're not happy in their body, in their mind, in their emotions. They're just not happy. And they're not, they're not healthy. They, they don't feel good. They don't have the energy. They don't have the the clarity of mind or the uh, the um, 
say, the balance in the emotions, maybe, perhaps, or they're physically, they're just dragging along, not because of something that happened to them that was out of their control, but simply because of choices that they made. To invest in your future, you can do financially, you can start putting money away for retirement. But if you hit retirement age and you have no time to enjoy it, if you're planning on not enjoying it because you're sick, why put money away then? Then I would say enjoy it while you are alive because obviously it's not about longevity for some of you. It is about living life to the max. And living life to the max, again, can be different things for different people. But if you are the kind of person that has an immune system that is compromised, has been compromised for a long time, or you are compromising it, then I think that you will start suffering for quite a while unless you start making changes and invest in you, who you are. And this is another thing. If you love the people you're with and you, then I think you have a responsibility that if anything happens to you, that the people who are surrounding you, which you hope is either a partner or a spouse, that that person is able to handle you to the best possibility. So don't expect that people will simply, uh, and this is really for the caretakers. The caretakers will start out doubting if this is really what they take on. Then when they take on the job of caretaking, they will find moments where they enjoy it and where they're grateful that they can do this. And they are, they are doing it from the love of their heart. But once this continues for a while, and their physical body, their mind, their emotions starts to be affected in a negative way, then it becomes harder and harder for that caretaker to be the caretaker they are supposed to be for both of you, both the caretaker's well-being and for the patient's well-being. So we owe it to our partners and our spouses that when we decide, um, you know, that we really care about that person, you don't just say that over, over a glass of wine. You know, you don't just say that when you sign the document. And when you say, I do, for better or for worse. I understand, but for worse is not because we are just not living responsibly. It is for worse should be unless I am not responsible <laughs> to myself and to you, then I think that uh, rules should be changed a little bit. Why is our immune system often negatively affected? There was a website that's called Rediff, Rediff, R-E-D-I-F-F dot com, which mentioned about 11 of them, 11 reasons why is our immune system often negatively affected. Now, number one, it does not in that specific order per se. Uh, I added a few other ones. Stress. Number one, stress. I'll tell you the ones. I, I'll tell you, give you a quick outlook and then we go through it. Stress, a poor diet, 
excessive alcohol, lack of sleep, number five, obesity, number six, lack of exercise, then medications, lack of hygiene, radiation exposure, chemical uh, smoking, uh, dehydration, and then on another website that was talking about everydayhealth.com, loneliness, loneliness, grief, negativity, and also I would say family dynamics. So these are all things that can affect the immune system negatively. Stress. People like to ignore it, but stress has a major influence on your immune system. Chronic stress caused by stressful situations or events that last over a long period of time raises cortisol levels in the body, which decreases the production of good prostaglandins, which are part of the immune system. Good prostaglandins are localized hormone-like cellular messengers that support our immune function, dilate blood vessels, inhibit thick blood, and are anti-inflammatory. Chronic stress can make you more susceptible to colds and the flu, as well as more serious health problems like heart disease, diabetes, and other diseases. By practicing stress-reducing activities like yoga, meditation, and laughter, you can keep your body from going into a chronic stress mode. And so again, I want to add to that simply what I've learned from Dr. Michael Platt. And there is another doctor who I'm trying to get on the show. His name is Dr. Rudy Dragoni. Rudy Dragoni also is he's, he's a pharmacist. And he is totally into the bioidentical hormones and I, I'm planning on having him on the show. He's just been, there has a lot been going on in his life. And he said, I just cannot make the time now. I will get to you as soon as I got some things under control. And so that is, that was his answer. Otherwise, you may have been on this week. So what what is important is that the brain runs on sugar. That's not perfect, but that for most people, that's the way it is. And what Dr. Platt has talked about is that when the, when the stress increases, the brain is burning through sugar very quickly and needs more sugar to handle the stress. So it sends a signal to the adrenal glands, which lay on top of the kidneys, in the back, in the kidneys, and then they are releasing the hormone cortisol. Cortisol needs sugar in order to function. It therefore, depending on how much the stress is, it will either shut you down from eating or you will start eating and nibbling, etc., etc. So stress is not per se that somebody cuts you off in traffic or that you get in a heavy-duty discussion with somebody. Stress can be very mild, let's call it that way, but chronic. And that's what they're talking about over here, the chronic stress. So if there is something that we can do to lower the amount of stress, and there are different ways to do that, but also lower the brain's dependence on sugars, we can therefore avoid immune system problems down the line. Because if we start eating more sugars than that the cells need in order to function, communicate, repair themselves, duplicate, 
and heal the body, give it energy. If they get more than what they need, they will shut the front door on the sugar and leave it in the bloodstream. And then over time, the bloodstream either converts it into fat or it will simply um, uh, acidify. The, the, uh, the blood becomes too acid. Uh, the system, wherever the sugar goes at 98.6 degrees, may become acidic. And that can cause symptoms of inflammation. And inflammation can be anything that ends with the word itis. Arthritis, bursitis, hepatitis, sinusitis, colitis, diverticulitis. So you have different diseases that start with, that end with the word itis. And many of that, much of that is because of a chronic, these are usually chronic diseases, a chronic acidification of the system that, uh, that therefore becomes a chronic pain. And because people are so focused on getting the job done for the day and staying focused on the work at hand for the people they work for or the people they're responsible for, then people are willing to take any means possible to get rid of that inflammation, whatever that inflammation is, in order to keep going, 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 going. And so over time, we are weakening the actual immune system but we don't notice it because we keep taking pills to cover up the aches and pains, the stress, the depression, the insomnia, etc., etc. So there are things that we can do that help us with stress, but we have to first of all admit that stress is a big issue in most of our life. So sometimes you may have stress because you don't have money. And money is always the stressor. But all of a sudden, the money issue is resolved. It doesn't mean you're rich. You're just able to pay your bills. Your debts are gone. If you are addicted to stress, if stress is your thing, now family dynamics may start taking over and you start getting worried about uh, luxury problems, call it that way, in the relationships you have with other people or with your own family members. Uh, it could it could change itself uh, that all of a sudden you start worrying about the politics or you start worrying about your favorite sports team and that's what you stress out about. You wouldn't do that before because your your primary focus was surviving, making money to pay the bills, to get your food, to pay the de- to 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 get out of debt. That was and maybe put money away. So once one is solved, if you have an addictive nature, if you are a stressful person, you will go from the one stressor to the next stressor. So stress, absolutely big reason why our immune system is negatively affected. Another one, poor diet, prolonged and excessive consumption of refined sugars and highly processed foods containing pesticides, chemical additives and preservatives can weaken the immune system and make you vulnerable to developing chronic conditions. A study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that the ability of white blood cell kills blood cells to kill bacteria is significantly hampered for up to five hours after eating 100 grams of sugar, which is equivalent to three cans of sweetened soft drink. A healthy diet should include plenty of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and 
low-fat milk. So I do not agree with this. I think there should be plenty of fruits, but it should be fruits that are low glycemic. So bananas is not the perfect fruit. I look more into the berries because of their anthocyanidins, the antioxidant uh, benefits. The vegetables perfectly would be, or better would be vegetables that grow above the ground because their sugar content is a little bit lower. Whole grains, that should be, you should be very careful about that, how to do that, because again, they can turn into a lot of uh, sugars. There are carbohydrates. So many people stuff themselves with fibers from grains. You would be better off with fibers from greens and green vegetables, etc. And so dairy, um, I am not for low-fat milk, as this article mentions, but uh, the whole milk, the organic, if you can get it raw, would be the better way to go if you decide that milk is something you would like to include in your diet. Uh, You can see if you can find goat's milk uh, for those people with certain allergens, and uh, or if you do cow's milk, if you can get raw milk, that would be a great way to go. And we talked about raw milk a couple months ago on the show. The third one is, uh, the reason is excessive alcohol. Alcohol, like sugar, consumed in excess, can reduce the ability of white blood cells to kill germs. Damage to the immune system increases in proportion to the quantity of alcohol consumed. I was going to say the quality of alcohol consumed uh, because there's also a difference. But the quantity of alcohol consumed. In the short term, excess alcohol intake will increase the number of colds you will experience. So alcohol, it is just another form, just like cigarettes are high in sugars. The, the cigarettes can affect certain people more, the nicotine the, let's say it this way, the tobacco can affect people more tobacco products than others. So there are people who smoke their whole life and say, well, I don't have any, I don't have any cold. I don't ever get sick. If I were to look at their cholesterol levels and I look at their HDL and their HDL is really high, then I say, well, yeah, you are just one of those people that has a very strong immune system. You have an HDL of over 80, 85. Then I can see that you just won't get sick. But there are also people who have an HDL, good cholesterol, of about 30 or 40 or 50 who always have issues because at that low level, there is always something going on. And um, your immune system simply gets compromised and it can affect your heart. Number four, reasons that the immune system is often negatively affected. Lack of sleep. Without adequate sleep, the immune system doesn't get a chance to rebuild and it becomes weak. Poor sleep is associated with reduced numbers of T-cells, which are the white blood cells that help the body fight disease, uh, in this case also cancer. Many studies show that people who do not get a good night's sleep or who don't get enough sleep which is sleeping under seven hours a night, are more likely to get sick after being exposed to a virus such as the common cold. Now, again, sleep is indeed something that I know for myself I really need to work on. I uh, don't sleep enough. I, I often I come home too late and then I still need to eat something. And then by the time you go to bed, it is 11, 11.30, and then I wake up at 
So it's six hours of sleep and that chronic. And then for the radio show, I don't sleep much. Um, not much because I'm working late and get up early to finish what I need to finish. But it is for me, um, it is something that I need to that I need to consider. I am not going to say that I'm immune to this because I can't. I can't say that way. So these are definitely things that uh, we all need to work on. And um, I I think that uh, sleep is huge. I know plenty of people uh, for whom sleep has become the I can say bottleneck. It has become their uh, their Achilles. It, it, it's so hard for them to have a good night's sleep and even sleep pills either make them groggy or they just get headaches or they can't wake up in the morning, whatever it is. So there are things that need to be discussed. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the second half of the program. We were talking about things that negatively affect our immune system. And I mentioned the first four, again, they're not per se in order of importance, but the first four were stress, a poor diet, excessive alcohol, and lack of sleep. Number five is obesity. Obesity can lead to a weakened immune system. It can affect the ability of white blood cells to multiply, produce antibodies, and prevent inflammation. A study conducted by New University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Medicine on laboratory mice shows that obesity reduces the body's ability to turn on elements of its immune systems needed for controlling influenza infection. So that doesn't mean that everybody who is obese will get the flu, but there are things that you can do in order to build to to support your immune system. Now, again, the majority of people, I have not seen anybody over time, simply mother nature with gravity on this planet Earth makes it very hard for obese people in the long run to be flexible and to be strong in their hips, their knees, and their ankles. Those are usually the first ones to go, and I should actually say the lower back as well. If people are very obese, there is a lot of weight hanging on the front and then uh, in the front of the belly, and that can put a lot of strain on the back. So you, it, it, it behooves you, if you are obese, to start doing some exercises and to work on your lower back muscles. And there are different muscles that you can do to strengthen that, but lower back, strengthening the lower back is because of working on your muscles that is that is it there is not the frame the the actual skeleton frame has no strength it 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 is held up by the muscles and if the muscles are if the weight is pulling to the front and the back is trying to hold you erect because otherwise you simply tumble over right your head itself is 12 or 13 pounds so it's no slouch right there on top of the head, about the weight of a bowling ball. So to hold that on top of the spine and then to hold the whole body erect so that you don't fall left, right, forward, backward, you are putting, starting to put a strain on your lower back. And so important to either lose the weight, not either, you should do both. You should lose the weight 
and you should um, work on your lower back muscles. So that is important. And then, of course, what holds up the upper frame? It's your legs. So working on your quads, your buttocks, your lower, your lower legs, your, your calves, uh, stability, standing on one foot and finding your balance. All these are important because they work on all the smaller muscle groups in your foot that are important for stability. So keep that in mind. And I understand that some of you who are obese, who are listening to the show, it's not a criticism. It is, but what I'm saying is, you do not have to become a victim of whatever happened to you in this life. There are every day you have a chance to make little improvements that are gonna make you um, that gonna make you experience success. Success creates smiles and happiness. That is good for the endorphins. And you are going to be motivated to do more. And so as you do more, it is not where you are going to be at the end of this weekend, but you are making a start, or even if you start next week. But the bottom line is try to think where you could possibly be in, in a year from now. If you go back to November 17, November 18 of last year, 2017, how were you feeling then and how were you feeling a year later? And let me ask it also another way is don't you think that the year has gone by very quickly? Absolutely. I think so. Especially when we get a little older, it seems these years just go by like crazy. So there is something to say for enjoying the effect, do the uh, to enjoy the effect that we can have in a year's time when we decide to make uh, certain changes. It's all, there is nobody who can do it for you and you don't have to go crazy, but you should think about a plan and stick to the plan. And I think that more things in your life will simply improve. None the least, the, the stability in the body and the wear and tear on joints that is going to affect you maybe not next year, but will affect you in 20 years from now, 10 years from now, if you don't already have it. So obesity important for the immune health because if the body has to start fighting aches and pains in the lower back, hips, knees, and ankles, it doesn't have, so we're talking about the immune system here, it doesn't have enough energy left, it doesn't have enough supply left to help you when a disease comes around. There's only so much in the reservoir. So to, to simply um, to, to, to get that part under control and to either rebuild the reservoir or be careful how you use the reservoir of immune health, those are all, those are all aspects that will have an effect long-term on your well-being. Number six, lack of exercise. Doing Moderate exercise, blood flow increases, which promotes the process of expelling toxic waste out of your body. The improved blood circulation also promotes circulation of antibodies and white blood cells that are important for fighting off infections. As little as 20 minutes of walking five days a week 
can help your immune system perform at its best. According to one research, inactive people took twice as many sick days in four months when compared to people who walked briskly almost every day. So that's an interesting thing. You don't have to lift the heavy weights. You don't have to go to a gym if you don't want to do that. We are living here in Montana in pretty much clean sky. Um, I understand that if you're listening and you live in the big city and there is not much green and not many parks, that you feel walking on the street and inhaling all the exhaust from the cars driving by is not fun and may not be in your benefit. However, anything you can do to get the heart rate going, to start breaking a sweat, get rid of the toxins, is all very, very important. And it may all contribute to overall immune health. Medications. Some prescription and non-prescription drugs are major toxins that many put into their bodies. Excessive use of antibiotics and cold and fever-fighting medications weakens your immune system. Researchers found that certain people taking antibiotics had reduced levels of cytokines, with cytokines as the hormone messengers of the immune system. You are more likely to develop resistant bacteria or become sick in the future when your immune system is suppressed. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus 5228255. So the medications, this is, and I'm going to go into this in another article that I have. Very, very, very interesting article by a medical doctor who uh, eventually decided, she's from the United Kingdom, eventually she decided not to stay part of her group of doctors, so the National Organization of Doctors, because as she said it herself, she was not prescribing enough medications. They said you are not hitting your quota. So your quota. So that is uh, that was <laughs> that was definitely something that she says I cannot agree with this anymore. She feels that diet is very important for people and she has seen lots of success simply changing the way people look at life. Uh, emotionally, mentally, and physically. So medications is, that's an interesting concept. 35, 30% or so of the medications that people use are actually in a, made from some kind of an herbal source. We've talked about the Taxol for chemotherapy, which comes from taxanes from the uh, the yew tree up in here, Montana. But you have Valium, which is made from valerian root. You have uh, you have uh, white willow bark, which has become aspirin. Um, the, there are other components in different uh, foods that have become the raw material for the prescription drugs as we know it today. And that 30%, 25-30% of natural foods that have become medications, those medications make up about 75% of all the income made by the pharmaceutical industry. So it's an interesting thing that they have figured out that Mother Nature know what she is doing, but they have isolated it so much it has become a prescription drug. And because the body goes, mm, wait a second, that is so, 
hey, I know this. No, I don't know this. So it goes in the system. The system tries to recognize it, cannot, and cannot. Therefore, either for some people it will work, for other people it starts causing negative effects simply because the body doesn't recognize it and now is trying to reject it. And so when you try to reject it, you can say, well, I am activating the immune system, so that is good. No, it is, again, long-term use of things that are not good for you will eventually affect the immune system. 522-8255, good morning, caller. Thank you for joining the program today. What's your name and how can I help you? Hey, Jacobus, it's Kevin. Hey, Kevin, nice to hear your hey. voice. Hey, thank you. I'm, I'm living your show today, so I'm uh. under the weather. Um, I started out with last week, last Sunday, um, twisting my knee, playing hockey, and got an injury. I, and I actually went to uh, Sosselman, and they said that I have a partial tear of my LCL, my lateral cruciate yeah. ligament, uh-huh. um, and I'm sort of on the mend, but then I got sick. And I was wondering if there was a parallel, and you just spoke of that, and I was wondering if, if my body's trying to heal in one place, is it going to be more susceptible than in another, like my respiratory or, or whatever, because um, I have like a head cold. And then I started to feel a little bit better. You know, it's about a day and a half, just kind of sneezing, blowing my nose all the time. And then I started to feel a little bit better, went out to celebrate because someone had a, a anniversary thing going on, and I had some alcohol, and I had probably too much. Next day, full-on, sore throat, feeling sick. Um, and so I, the alcohol obviously depressed my, is that it? It depresses your immune system even more. If it's um, already weak, yes, it can. Correct. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, now I'm, I'm paying for my two sins. Um, my question is. No, it's not a sin. Well, I know. I mean, my, 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 you, you, you made, you, drinking and, and hurting my knee. Yeah. You fell over the hurdles. You, instead of jumping over it, you fell through, you fell through them. Correct. Um, <laughs> the cold, the cold, I'm, I can deal with. I'll figure it out. I'm, you know, I'm drinking some honey and tea, and I've got my vitamin D. And um, my knee is my issue with you. Anything to help build back um, that knee quicker or stronger that you would suggest? I heard Doctor Savage one time on one of his shows talk about vitamin C for bone. You know, orthopedics sometimes use high doses of vitamin C, but I didn't know if that also tied into a ligament issue well you have a ligament issue that's not a bone issue correct correct okay so the um, um the the ligament connects the bone with the muscle mm-hmm. and you tore a little bit of that there are yeah. two things that i would look into uh, number one is a homeopathic remedy that is called wild woodvine wild woodvine and it is a it is a drop. It is made from the first sprout of a or from the buds, the buds of the wild woodvine, which is also known as the Virginia creeper, which grows in many people's backyards in this area. So the or the the ivy, so to say, the wild woodvine has shown that there are elements in the actual bud of that that plant that have effect on the ligaments and tendon issues. So when there is a tear, there is an injury, there is, a, there is aches and pains, inflammation in ligaments and tendons, it is the wild woodvine that goes in and actually focuses and repairs the tissue. Okay. 
So that is number one. And this is a dropper bottle. It's two ounces. It sells for $12.95 or $12.75. And it is, uh, it's about a month supply for that if you use it accordingly, which is, I usually say, take a full dropper, put it in your mouth. It, it kind of tastes sweet. Uh, hold it in your mouth for about 45 seconds, then swallow what's left of it because some of it will go down the throat. You swallow what's left. You do that for the first four days, four times a day to really activate it. And then after that, you do a full dropper or about yeah, three, quarter, three quarters of a dropper. You will do it twice a day, same way. Okay. Hold it in your mouth for 30, 40 seconds, 45 seconds, and then swallow what's left of it. But I have seen people with tennis elbows, with shoulder injuries, with ligament damage, uh, who simply within a week are feeling so much better. The second okay. thing, yeah, the That's second thing I recommend is that uh, we just started carrying a product that is called Incrediware. Incrediware are different um, uh, pieces that we wear. So there could be a knee brace, um, back brace elbow brace, wrist brace, socks, uh, shoulder brace, really interesting stuff. It's actually cloth that has been interwoven with uh, germanium, the mineral germanium, and uh, carbonized um, um, charcoal. And the combination of these two, they have discovered, this company's been around, I think, for 15 years or so, uh, and we just started carrying it. The, when the body heats up, so simple body heat starts to activate these two minerals, the, the, the charcoal and of the carbon and the germanium, and they create healing in the body. And we have booklets at the store where you literally see people wearing this for like eight hours, and then they take x-ray or they take these heat, uh, heat uh, photography, um, thermography, so to say, and you can just see that within hours, the inflammation has gone down dramatically. So inflammation response, also what you have, Kevin, is yeah. something that is a natural response from the body to tell you, stop, slow down, don't do this again. At the same time, you may, uh, by, by stimulating blood flow through the area and, and that whole area make it healthy again, you will start seeing a healing that goes much quicker. So maybe the combination of a knee brace uh, could help with the wild wood vine, and and you will start healing very quickly. Okay, that's good to know. And they said they did. They just said I should have some sort of knee brace. So they do uh, or they didn't. They did say so. Yes, they did. Yes, but this is not a knee brace that gives you stability. This is literally right. um, like a wrap. Correct. No, not a wrap. Okay. You sl you slide it over your knee. It's very easy to uh, to apply, and you you just leave it on. You can leave it oh, on okay. overnight, or you can leave it on during the day, whatever you want to do. But I would say, if you decide to come check it out, I'll show you a booklet with pictures, or somebody can show you that, and then you have an idea uh, how incredible this stuff is. So okay, those will probably be the first ones. But you know, Doctor Savage was right. Vitamin C is a phenomenal anti-inflammatory. And I would therefore look into eight to 15,000 milligrams a day for a short period of time. If yep. you can handle that as far as your bowels are concerned, I think you not only will help your tissue in your knee, but also your immune system to, uh, to, to be kicked much better. Do you, do you break that up um, over 
you know, yes. three different cups of tea or, or water or, or all at once. Yeah, if you do a teaspoon of powder, that's about 5,000 milligrams. So if you do a couple, three teaspoons a day in some water uh, or tea, yeah, then I think your body will start to work with that pretty well. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, Jacobus. For all You're welcome. Stuff. Thank you, Kevin. All the best. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We are coming close to the end of this segment, and uh, we will continue with uh, things. This is actually the second hour is almost done. So these are things that we need to uh, double-check, still need to talk about medications. We did that uh, right now, and then we still have lack of hygiene, radiation exposure, smoking, dehydration. Those are th- some things, but... When we come back, I definitely want to talk about some issues that can affect the immune system, loneliness, grief, negativity, and family dynamics. Not per se physical issues, but obviously more emotional issues. And the emotions can play a huge role on the well-being of our immune system. So don't miss out on that information when we come back. Thanks for listening today. We will be right back. We were talking about the immune system, the the many ways that we can that our immune system is affected. We discussed that in this last second hour. Stress, poor diet, excessive alcohol, lack of sleep, obesity, lack of exercise, the right exercise, medications, lack of hygiene radiation exposure, smoking, dehydration. Now, according to the website Everyday Health, everydayhealth.com, there is also loneliness and grief. And I picked up another one that is called negativity. And there is another one that is called family dynamics. And I thought it would be interesting to highlight some of that because loneliness it has come to my attention lately by a few people who have totally expressed to me how lonely they are. And we are going to hit this Thanksgiving and Christmas season and New Year's. And it is a time where many people are so lonely. Uh, they have memories. We all have memories from the past. And maybe that was a wonderful time. And for whatever reason, things have just gone off the rails. And now you're by yourself. And that is unbelievable to feel that pain that um, that just can affect us and our whole immune system in many ways. Feeling lonely could impair your immune system, according to a study published in the Journal of Neuroimmunology in December 2014. The research was done on rats. They found that increased anxiety associated with loneliness leads to greater suppression of the immune system and more oxidative stress or damage caused by free radicals. Research published in Psychological Science, which is the magazine Psychological Science, in February 2015, suggests that simply hugging someone can have a stress-buffering effect and reduce susceptibility to illness. So when you are lonely and you never have anybody hugging you or feeling that physical touch, it becomes very hard to remember that. What was that like that somebody actually 
cares enough about me to give me a hug and to feel that embrace and that that warmth from the heart to heart connection literally so those are it's loneliness is 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 a tough one then of course we have grief grief is a sudden or tragic event that can weaken your body's immune response according to the national institute of mental health losing a loved one for example can boost production of nerve chemicals and hormones that increase your risk of for more frequent and severe viral infections such as the flu. This is what the agency says. Bereavement is associated with increased cortisol response and immune imbalance, according to a June 2012 review published in Dialogues in Clinical Neurosciences. Certain vaccines, including the flu shot, may be less effective for those coping with profound loss, again, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Well, they, in my opinion, they throw two things together. I, I think that the flu shot doesn't work, period, and I think we should uh, be very, very careful with uh, uh, getting any vaccine. It's one thing that we already vaccine the children that we have issues with. On the other hand, there is now that they're talking about mandatory adult vaccines, so it is uh, something to be aware of. Um, it's unbelievable how people can literally just say, this is what we're going to do, and you just have to listen. Uh, otherwise, you're a criminal. <laughs> it makes no sense. I mean, where did that, who, who brought you into the room, <laughs> you could say. So uh, we, we need, now, majority of us, I would say, live responsibly. Uh, there are plenty of people who do not and if you don't do that, knowing very well that there is another way, but you're not doing it, then this is obviously something that, um, shame on you, right? That is something that you 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 know you can do better, but you simply refuse to do it. That is, uh, that's a rough one. But anyway, grief. Grief is deep. It, grief... Grief it goes back very far, very traumatic events. Uh, the loss of a, of a of a parent or of a family member, a brother, a sister, um, even if you've witnessed it, the trauma from the grief, the grief and trauma, uh, in my opinion, go together very quickly, uh, very profoundly, because trauma can can cause chronic grief. And there are ways to deal with that, such as the rescue remedy from Dr. Bach or other flower therapies. There are also essential oils that can help you with grief. Um, there, are, uh, there, there are certain things you can do, uh, obviously, in activities, activity-wise, that can pull you out of the grief by simply uh, changing a few la- a few degrees in your direction, the way you're walking. You're never going to forget what happened, but you don't have to be traumatized by it all the time. And then, of course, we have negativity. Negativity is really the glass is half empty and always feeling that people are having out for you. Um, everything happens for the reason and then look at it only for the wrong reason. Um uh, being negative about partners, being negative about your work, uh, being negative about the weather, being negative about politics, being negative, 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 negative. It is it is a drainer 
It is a drainer of the mind. Uh, and, and if you're not just negative in your own being, but now you start sharing it with, with others and make those people miserable because they are your friends or acquaintances and they want to be polite and they want to listen to you uh, because they think, well, maybe that will help you. They are not always, this is not always a, a good thing. And we need to work on that. Negativity can really harm not just your own immune system, but somebody else's as well. And then, and then uh, in, in, on top of that, we have the family dynamics. We all have family. Some people have lost a family for because they're the only survivors. Some of you, others have lost family because of accidents, car accidents. That goes back to the loneliness and the grief. But for some people, the family dynamics, they have family members, but somehow they're just not able to either avoid conflict, work through conflict, move on, staying stuck with issues within the family that uh, that just cannot be resolved, cannot be forgiven. And I think therefore forgiveness is huge. So if you are, if you have a family dynamics, take time away and think about it. You are in charge, not the other person. It is not what the other person does. It is what you do with it, how you react to it. Uh, that is, is such an important part of the the processing of family dynamics in our lives. We all have family, and family is what molds us. It is the it is the part that plants the seed that for the first X amount of years is is watering the the issues that I will be dealing with for the next several decades that I'm alive and that I'm independent from my family physically. Now, doesn't mean that you don't see family, you have family, deal with family, but sometimes by taking some distance and taking some time away, it may it may heal the relationship. My strong suggestion is that if you are dealing with family dynamics that eat you up, that are just negative and it could be a sibling it could be a uh, somebody who came in an in-law it could be it could be the, the the you know different part different members of the family can have an effect everybody is responsible for taking care of their own health of their own mind of their own emotions in the choices they make and how they communicate with others you cannot do it for somebody. You cannot want it for somebody. You need to do it for yourself first. Work on yourself. Become the center of your own universe. Your dedication to you is very, very important because this is where it all starts and this is where it all ends up. So this is where the start of a new chapter in your life, it starts with you. Nobody can do it. Nobody can write that chapter. Nobody even can put chapter one on the page. That's you. And so when you can work on who you are and how you deal with things around you and family and people around you, you are responsible. Everybody else, if everybody can do that for themselves, 
We'll have peace on earth. Trust me. Uh, this whole thing that people want peace on earth, that's a nice idea. Just walk around and try to create peace in your own family first. You know, work on yourself, work on your family, make sure your family can work together. There will always be times where you can talk to the person in question and in a good moment, and that has to be a good moment, you should be able to have the strength to express yourself and say, without any energy, I would just love to have a better relationship with you. I would love to have that. Now you talk about you. You're not blaming that person. You just say, I would like to have a better relationship with you. And in that case, you start the conversation. The other person can only say, I don't. Or, okay, let me try to help that person. And maybe they're willing to do something. And the conversation its it, the conversation is going to be the spark that hopefully starts the action in both to, to be continued in you and to work on the other individual. But you cannot ask that question in, in balance, in harmony, if you don't work on yourself first. So very, very important. Now, I know we're running out of time, and I tell you that uh, I definitely want to talk about the role that Western modern medicine has played in weakening the immune system. There is a there is a fun article that I hadn't read, but all of a sudden it came up to me, and it is a it is an article written by a medical doctor from Great Britain, and her name is Sarah Myhill, Sarah S A R A H M. Y-H-I-L-L, My Hill, Sarah My Hill, medical doctor. You look her up, you can see some clips from her on the internet, and I may just play a clip of that in the last half hour because I feel it actually integrates some of the natural options that we can use to improve the immune system uh, very well. But the article is called Sustainable Medicine and Patient Intelligence. It is a whistleblowing on the 21st century medical practice, whistleblowing. <clears throat> I'm going to start with this because there's gems. There's just gems in this article. I totally connected with it. Just five years at medical school followed by one year in hospital jobs do little to prepare a doctor for the real world. I had no answers to the early questions thrown up by National Health Services, NHS, general practice. This question is, why do I have high blood pressure? Why do I get such awful headaches? Why am I depressed? Correct conventional answers to these questions are deficiency of, respectively, anti-hypertensive drugs, painkillers, and SSRIs. But this is not the why of the matter. Indeed, it is hardly even the what of the matter. Masking the symptoms does not explain them. The clues which the symptoms represent have been missed, and the investigative detective work, which should have resulted from those clues, has been left undone. One year on, and I was breastfeeding my daughter Ruth. She had terrible three-month colic, and all I could do to lessen the screams was to walk around the house all night with her in my arms. My husband Nick's reaction was, you are the effing doctor. You sort it out. 
He was right. It was not until I stumbled across advice for me to give up all dairy products that the problem was resolved. So, too, was my chronic sinusitis and rhinitis. At the time, this was a momentous and life-changing discovery, but this information was nowhere to be found in the medical textbooks. Thirty years later, this common cause and effect is still nowhere to be found in the medical textbooks. I worried about not knowing causation. I had been trained to to elicit clinical symptoms and signs and recognize clinical pictures. But actually, what patients wanted to know was why. What did they need to do to put things right? My standard line had been, well, let's do a blood test and come back next week. This gave me time to rifle anxious through the anxiously through my lecture notes and textbooks looking for answers. The answers my patients wanted were not there. It came as a great relief to me to find out that my patients really didn't mind me telling them I did not know. Thankfully, they rated my ability to care higher than my ability to know all the answers. Thankfully, too, they were happy to help me with my researchers and act as willing guinea pigs with the dietary and lifestyle experiments that actually address the root causes of the problem. The investigation of a patient should be like a detective story. 90% of the clues come from the history and 10% from the examination. Tests may confirm or refute the hypothesis because every diagnosis is just a hypothesis. Then, once a diagnosis has been further corroborated by test results, it has to be put to the ultimate test. The ultimate test is response to treatment. Is the patient better? If not, then the diagnosis is wrong. The word doctor originates from the Latin verb doci, meaning I teach. My job is to teach, medical doctor, my job is to teach my patients to heal themselves and supply them with the necessary tools to do so. The doctor should be the interface between the heart science and the idiosyncratic patient. The practice of medicine is an art. Doctors routinely confuse the making of diagnosis with what are merely the description of symptoms and clinical pictures, neither of which constitute a true diagnosis. Examples include hypertension, also known as high blood pressure, asthma, irritable bowel syndrome, and arthritis, all of which terms are in fact descriptions of symptoms and none of which is an actual diagnosis of the underlying cause. Clinical pictures include Parkinson's disease, heart failure, and Crohn's disease, but these are convenient titles simply to slot patients into symptom-relieving categories which do little to reverse the disease process or afford a, per- afford a permanent cure. Symptom-relieving medication postpones the day when major organ failure results. This is unsustainable medicine. Again, this is Dr. Sarah Myhill, medical doctor from the United Kingdom. Doctors can be dangerous. In the United States, healthcare system-induced death are the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. When doctors go on strike, this is funny, when doctors go on strike, death rates fall. And when they return to work, death rates rise. However, this effect pales into insignificance when compared with the intellectual neglect 
demonstrated by doctors failing to understand, recognize, and prevent the two major causes of death, namely heart disease and cancer. The worst example of this neglect is the nonsense propagated by doctors that a high-fat diet results in high cholesterol and consequently in heart and arterial disease. Indeed, this has become the popular accepted wisdom, yet it is completely wrong. It is sugar, fruit sugar, refined carbohydrates and grains that are driving the epidemics of arterial disease, heart disease, and cancer. The failure of the medical profession to recognize and act on this is a crime against humanity. These collective failures mean that it is more dangerous to follow your doctor's advice on diet and take symptom-suppressing medication than to smoke 20 cigarettes a day. So these collective failures mean it is more dangerous to follow your doctor's advice on diet and take symptom-suppressing medication than to smoke 20 cigarettes a day. The greatest modern health hazard is metabolic syndrome. This is the clinical picture that results from Western diets and lifestyles. It is easy to diagnose, simply look at the supermarket trolley. If it is largely composed of bread, cereals, biscuits, pasta, fruits, crisps, sweets, chocolate, and alcohol, then its owner and his or her family has metabolic syndrome. The early symptoms include having to eat very often, not being satisfied with the meat and vegetable meal until a sweet pudding has been eaten, having to snack regularly, and eating or drinking to relieve stress. Fatigue, mood swings, and insomnia follow. Doctors get involved when the apple-shaped people are found to have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. There follows an inevitable progression to diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. We now know arthritis and osteoporosis are long-term effects of metabolic syndrome. And that includes Alzheimer's disease too, which has been renamed type 3 diabetes. All right. Well, we are hitting a break right here, the last break of the program. And then three hours will be done. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. Please stay tuned for more because there's a lot more where this came from. And we'll be right back. What I want to do is, I, it is so much fun to read that article from this doctor, Sarah Myhill. But I thought I want to let you listen to her voice. Uh, just that you understand what kind of person she is. And she is really... <laughs> It's just very enjoyable, actually, to listen to her. Uh, let me see if I can get this. What this is is in uh, about 12 minutes. So I want to make sure I get that in. because, And I may cut it off when it is shorter. But I, I do like her style. I do like what she says. And this is uh, her main thing is uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. Chronic fatigue is big. And she actually wrote a book recently it's called Diagnosis and Treatment of Chronic Fatigue Syndrome and Myalgic Encephalitis. It's mitochondria, not hypochondria. <laughs> That's a subtitle. Uh, she is a medical doctor, and uh, let's listen to her a little bit. I think you will, uh, you will enjoy this. My name's Sarah Myhill. Um, I have, uh, I'm a, a doctor. Um, I worked for um, 20 years in NHS general practice. But for the last 15 years, I have um, been running my own practice in nutritional medicine. And the reason I've been doing that is because 
it became increasingly clear to me through my, my work as a GP that doctors were not asking the question why. They weren't looking for disease causation and um, increasingly Western medicine is all about symptom suppression with drugs. Now in the short term you relieve those symptoms but in the long term um, the underlying pathological process progresses and the reason for that is we have symptoms for a very good reason. Symptoms protect us from ourselves. We suffer from fatigue because if we didn't suffer from, if we didn't experience fatigue we'd work all day, all night, all day, all night and we'd all be dead within two weeks because nobody has survived more than two weeks without sleep. The same is true of pain. If you have a damaged joint it's painful. What should you do? You should rest it and look for methods of healing and repairing that. What do the Doctors, the conventional doctors do, they give you pain-killing drugs, which means you then use a joint that should be rested and you damage it more rapidly. And we, for example, there's some very good studies showing people taking anti-inflammatories come to their joint replacements, replacements sooner than if they weren't taking them. So um, when you start asking the question why, medicine suddenly gets much more interesting. It's like a detective story and that's how it should be. We should be looking at the clues, asking the questions, doing the tests and trying to identify the underlying issues. Now the trouble is that takes intellectual power and time and the shameful thing is most conventional doctors don't have either uh, these days. They, ex they make an excuse that they haven't got the time sorted out but the fact of the matter is they can't be bothered to think about it and I know that why because I've worked for 20 years in NHS practice and in fact the reason I left um, uh, National Health Service is because I felt I didn't have the um, um, I didn't have the um, facilities I needed to be a good doctor. There were certain tests I weren't allowed, allowed to do, there were certain uh, supplements I was not allowed to prescribe and in fact I had my wrists slapped because my prescribing budget was so low that made me a bad doctor. So I um, uh, finished with the NHS and that then gave me the clinical freedoms to be what I consider to be a good doctor, to address the causation and, um, um, uh, and work from there. Now nowhere has this been more important than the field of chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, fatigue is a symptom and um, which may have many causes and we have to ask the question why and um, I started off in the field of allergy because within the NHS I was seeing patients with migraine, with irritable bowel syndrome, with arthritis, pushing them on elimination diets, guess what they did very well. Some of my chronic fatigue syndrome patients did very well when we eliminated um, certain foods from their diet and, um, and that was really the starting point. But it didn't cure everybody, not by a long shot. I still had an awful lot of patients who weren't getting better by dint of doing a good elimination diet and therefore I progressed from there. And um, the way I think about this illness, and I have summarised it in this book here, um, 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 chronic fatigue syndrome and mild encephalitis, it's mitochondria not hypochondria. What I have also learned is that you know of course when you're young you think you can heal the world and now I know guess what I can't it's taken me 35 years to work that out but hey ho. Um, so what I have to do is I have to give people um, uh, the rules of the game and the tools of the trade so they can do it themselves and this is what I've tried to do with this book. There's very little in this book um, for which you need doctor input. Most of what is in there you can do yourself and, um, uh, and, um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and that is the aim of that book and indeed all subsequent books. I've written other books on uh, diabetes, I'm developing one on infectious disease at the moment but I have to give people the tools they need to do it themselves. 
In thinking about chronic fatigue syndrome, I think of what I call the Mr. Micawber equation, and I'm sure you all know um, Mr. Micawber, the character um, in um, um, uh, Charles Dickens, and his famous uh, line was, income 20 shillings, outgoing 21 shillings, result misery. You know, income 20 shillings, outgoings 19 shillings, result happiness. And in fact, I always think that you know, health is very much like you know, money, you know, you don't know you've got it until you've lost it. And, um, and I, if you think of chronic fatigue in these terms, then that gives us the outline of, of, of the strategy of how to treat it. So income, we're looking at energy delivery mechanisms. And then outgoings, we're looking at how the body spends energy. And so let's start with energy delivery mechanisms first. And a very useful analogy that I use all the time, and guess what? My patients can get their heads around this very quickly, is to think of the body as a car. And actually we are a sort of, you know, we're a, we're, we're a process, we're a machine. And um, what do you need to get your car to go? Well, first of all, you need the right fuel in the tank. If I put petrol in my diesel car, guess what? It doesn't go. And I probably spend more time talking about diet and what you eat than all other subjects put together. And in fact, I've written another two books on that, my diabetes book, which is all about sugars and carbohydrates, and I'm just about to publish a cookbook. So the diabetes book gives us the why we've got to do these things, and the cookbook gives us the how, you know, what you actually put in your mouth. But the point is, there's only one person that can put food in your mouth, and that's you. It's something you have complete control of your diet. Now, it might not be easy, you know, it's hard work, you know, changing the habits of a lifetime. But as I very cruelly say to my patients, you know, my job is to get you well, not to entertain you. So I talk a lot about that, and that is the fuel that goes in, 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 the, in the car. And then we have to talk about the engine. And this was um, um, I, something I learned a huge amount during, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, because um, I got a lot of patients doing the right diet, uh, correcting other bits and bobs, and I had a group I want to turn it off over here. It's, uh, I hope you get an idea. She, yeah, obviously the English is not always easy to listen to, but in general, I think that uh, you get the gist. This is an interesting doctor, and I would rather read a little bit more about her article because at this point, because it gives you a good idea of how this medical doctor, Sarah Myhill, Sarah is spelled with an H at the end, My, M-Y-H-I-L-L. She's a medical doctor. You can look her up on the internet. You can look at clips on YouTube if you enjoy that and then listen to how she speaks. So she said she, she, she quit working with the National Health Services and became independent 15 years ago. So let me tell you a couple of things. So we were just talking about the chronic fatigue, which is her specialty, and um, the, the possible diabetes. Uh, the diabetes, the metabolic syndrome that also creates Alzheimer's and arthritis and osteoporosis and heart disease and cancer. So this is all very powerful stuff when you talk about the immune system what are we doing to our overall immune system? And now, so when the immune system is under pressure, which door does it open to let you know there is a problem? Does it come out through joint pain? Does it come out through heart trouble? Does it come out through the skin, like skin irritations? Do you have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome? Do you have urinary tract infection? Do you develop cancer? Um, different symptoms are just trying to explain what goes on behind the scenes. 
So she says, Dr. Uh, Myhill, most doctors have no grasp of the above progression. They fail to appreciate that carbohydrates are eaten in an addictive way. The intellectually risable food pyramid, which places carbohydrates at the bottom of, at sta- as, as staple foods with meat and egg at the top of occasional, as occasional extras, is evolutionary, incorrect, and upside down. Symptom-suppressing drugs and lack of attention to causation Together, accelerate the underlying degeneration. People become patients on the slippery downhill slope to disease and death. Many drug-prescribing doctors fail to identify the root cause of disease. Instead of even attempting to make a proper diagnosis, they simply prescribe symptom-suppressing drugs. We experience symptoms for good reasons. They protect the body from damage. Symptom-suppressing drugs allow us to function, but they do so at the expense of accelerating the underlying disease process. Pain-killing drugs mean joints are damaged faster, and so surgery to replace joints is required sooner. Symptom suppression and accelerated damage result in a snowballing effect of disease, and and so more drugs are needed to suppress side effects. As just one example, acid blockers to suppress gut symptoms will leave the discomfort but result in low stomach acid, which is a major risk factor for osteoporosis and stomach cancer. Now, this was one that I thought, wow, this makes so much sense. Listen to this. This is how she describes what happens in Western medicine. Someone with a stone, a little rock, a pebble, someone with a stone in their shoe would feel the pain and remove the stone. By contrast, a doctor would first prescribe a painkiller to restore normal walking. However, the stone would erode the foot and infection would follow, so an antibiotic would be prescribed. Infection rarely clears where there is a foreign body, and so gangrene would ensue, followed by amputation. Crutches or wheelchair would be prescribed. The dignified independent person would become a dependent patient patient facing long-term disability and premature death. Isn't that something? Again, the treatment of asthma has switched what was once a benign, self-limiting condition to a lifelong pathology requiring lifelong symptom-suppressing medication. So again, let me read that again. The treatment of asthma has switched what was once a benign, self-limiting condition to a lifelong pathology requiring lifelong symptom-suppressing medication. Indeed, when asthma is poorly managed, patients die. Conventional treatment means first the blue inhaler, next the brown inhaler, then both. No thought is given to the causes of asthma, which may be an allergy to foods or inhalants or chemicals, or pollution or hyperventilation or stress. You know, stress can cause asthma. If symptom-suppressing drugs are ineffective, then a further line of defense is to blame the patient. Psychiatrists call this somatization. Somatization. People are imagining their symptoms. This is a highly successful method of preventing these patients from ever returning to that quote-unquote diagnosing doctor again because the patient, quite rightly, 
loses faith in the doctor's abilities and looks elsewhere for answers. However, from the doctor's perspective, they usually never see this patient again, and so they wrongly assume that their quote-unquote diagnosis of somatization has satisfied the patient. The doctor is left with the false impression that the patient is cured and pats himself on the back for a job well done. Worse than this, though, is what happens if the patient persists, returns to the doctor, and does not accept the somatization diagnosis. In that case, so somatization means people are imagining their symptoms. In that case, the patient is blamed once again, but this time for being a difficult patient or even for having views which are resistant to the cure being offered. The phrase false illness beliefs is a common one which is then thrown at such patients. Nowhere is this more apparent than in the treatment of chronic fatigue syndrome, which is her special interest and subject of another one of her books is called, like you just heard, Diagnosis and Treatment of Chronic Fatigue Syndrome and Myalgic Encephalitis. It's mitochondria, not hypochondria. Uh, The complete failure of doctors to identify and treat the underlying physical causes of this condition is a disgrace to the medical profession. It has dehumanized hundreds of thousands of potentially healthy people and consigned them to a life of misery. So she's talking about the misdiagnosis of chronic fatigue. The undergraduate and postgraduate education of doctors converts intelligent, motivated, caring teenagers into questioning, narrow-minded, one-size-fits-all doctors. These young people have all these fine attributes educated out of out of them. Medical education is a brainwashing process which stupefies and petrifies the ability of the individual doctor to think independently. These disciplined minds become blinkered to see only avenues of treatment as laid down by the pharmaceutical symptom-suppressing approach. The job of the doctor is to understand the science of the body and convert this raw knowledge to the art of treating individual patients, each of whom has a unique constitution that requires a tailored approach. Indeed, this is where the challenge, the pleasure, and the fun of medicine lie. Nothing is so rewarding as the grateful patient whose health has been restored. Health is like money. You don't know you've got it until you've lost it. Drug companies were launched at the back of antibiotics. So first antibiotics, then the drug companies. Miraculous life-saving magic bullets which have saved millions of lives. This led to the general belief, happily adopted by the population, that all ills could be dealt with by pills. Symptom-suppressing drugs were found to bring immediate relief of pain, fever, and misery. Massive drug company profits ensued. In modern Western society, money trumps truth. The drug companies used their newfound wealth to capture the intellectual and moral high ground through manipulation of drug trials. Either such trials were set up to achieve a desired outcome or adverse outcomes were not published. Doctors achieve academic success and promotion through drug company bankrolled research, often 
the drug company representatives ghostwrite the academic papers. If doctors fail to conform to the above expectations, they risk loss of job and status. Conventional medicine increasingly is being bypassed by intelligent patients who wish to understand the underlying pathophysiological mechanisms that are causing their ill health. Indeed, I often find myself writing the diagnosis of PMITD, PMITD in the margin of my clinical notes. You know what PMITD stands for, folks? Patient more intelligent than doctor. In addressing all of these issues, I am whistleblowing on current medical practice. This emperor has no clothes. So Sarah Myhill is a veteran clinical physician based in the United Kingdom and a leader in the treatment of chronic fatigue syndrome. She has focused her career on identifying and treating the underlying causes of health problems, especially the diseases of civilization in the West. She has worked in the National Health Services, NHS, and private practice and for 17 years was the Honorary Secretary of the British Society for Ecological Medicine, which is a medical society interested in looking at causes of disease and treating through diet, vitamins, and minerals, and through avoiding toxic stress. She is a frequent lecturer on topics such as organophosphate poisoning, the problems of silicone, and chronic fatigue syndrome. So I thought this was such an interesting article. And since she mentions the, uh, my, the, the it is mitochondria, need, uh, not the hypochondria. <laughs> so that is uh, important. So this is an article that is called, and we're coming close to the end of the show, but I thought it was important. It is doctor, by Dr. Stephen Sinatra. He's a medical doctor who's very well known and he's very well respected. And he talks indeed about the, the health of the mitochondria. Let's see, as a cardiologist, I have treated hundreds of patients using a metabolic approach that is specifically designed to replenish the ATP, the adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy in the cell. Uh, countless times I've witnessed the profound healing that can happen when you give the body the key nutrients it needs to make energy, ATP. I had patients on heart transplant lists that no longer needed donor hearts after a week, a few weeks of treatment, and was able to successfully wean others from life support. Numerous others improved their cardiovascular health and quality of life, and many probably even extended their lifespans, all by supporting natural energy production in the cells. But something happened later in my career that forever changed my understanding of ATP and our life energy. Uh, it was a man by the name of uh, Tommy uh, who had a uh, near-death experience. It was very interesting. Now, I can talk about that another time. We're running close out of time. So I want to tell you that the four nutrients that he says are essential, these are his top four to increase the mitochondria, nourish the mitochondria and vital force. We need to give them the oxygen and nutrients they need to make ATP or vital force energy. This is one of the reasons that regular, moderate exercise is so good for us as our yoga and deep breathing exercises. We are feeding our mitochondria oxygen, 
We also need to fertilize our mitochondria with ATP-boosting nutrients. These are coenzyme Q10, L-carnitine, which is an amino acid, which takes fat into the cell and fat out. The, the used fat is removed through the lymphatic system. Magnesium and the D-ribose sugar. So we, what we're going to do is if I don't have a specific guest next week, we're going to continue with this part two for the immune system because there is still a bunch of stuff I want to explain to you what we can do to uh, build the immune system. So the four that Dr. Sinatra, Stephen Sinatra is mentioning is, uh, is coenzyme Q10, L-carnitine, magnesium, and D-ribose. So having said all that, folks, this has been an absolute pleasure. Very fast for me, three hours. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a good weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And we'll talk to you again next week, Saturday, for another edition of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Uh, see you then. Making excellent use of your time and mind? Listening to Gesundheit with Jacobus every week.